Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey everyone, welcome back to another Swamp Dweller video. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true hitchhiking horror stories. I haven't done a video like this in many years and I'm super excited to get back to this topic. As always, if you have stories that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a hitchhiking story or something completely different, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or my new reddit r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to see your stories and share them in a future episode. Now, without further ado, if you're new to the swamp, be sure to subscribe, hit that like button before these stories begin, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true hitchhiking horror stories. A Hiking Horror Story by Anonymous So this happened about six years ago. It's a story I've told many times and will continue to tell because it's probably the closest I have ever been to getting killed, or if not, destroyed then kidnapped or something horrible. In the summer of 2012, my best friend and I were hitchhiking around Eastern Europe, with no money like a bunch of crusty punk bums. We were 19 at the time and bought into that lifestyle. We are now over it. Without boring anybody with unnecessary details, we were making our way towards Poland from the Baltics and happened to hitchhike a lift into Lithuania from the Latvian border. The dude who picked us up seemed friendly and he was ultimately going to a different direction and dropped us off at some spot he told us was suitable for hitching. So he dropped us off and it was a large concrete area by the side of a road in the middle of the Lithuanian countryside, probably designed for truckers to pull in and take a nap or whatever. On one side of the road there were endless cornfields and on the other were some woods. It was pretty late in the evening and there was no traffic anywhere, so we decided to call it a night crossed the road towards the edge of the woods and got out our sleeping bags, food, etc. By this small dirt mound near the road, by the woods, we heard a woman screaming from across the street as we were unwinding. We immediately ran across to see what was happening, and we could just about make out two men running away in the cornfields. We stood there in shock. A few moments later, a car pulled up the road out of the cornfields and sped off into the distance. We still stood there in shock, wondering what to do. Then, a few moments later, a policeman in a car showed up. He asked us questions in Lithuanian, and we explained in English that we were just hitchhikers. He said to us, This is a hazardous place. You shouldn't be here. Then proceeded to roll up the window and drive back the way he came. We were pretty freaked out by this point, so we crossed the road back to our bags by the dirt mound on the edge of the woods. My friend has a crappy little rusty pocket knife, and we agreed to stay vigilant. It was nighttime by this point and after a while nothing happened. We were still a bit scared and couldn't sleep. Then sometime in the dead of night in the woods next to us we could hear footsteps cracking the twigs and branches of the woods. They slowly got closer and closer to us, eventually stopping. We heard constant whispering for a few moments. Then the footsteps and twig snapping moved slowly away from us. Neither of us had anything to say to each other. We were much too scared to break the silence. 
we both knew what had happened. At this point, we were so petrified, and my friend took out his crappy pocket knife again, like I said, and we lay there, nearly wetting ourselves, waiting. I remember saying to him, See you in hell, Connor, and him saying it back to me. An hour or two passed, and we were still lying there, taking turns with the knife, in case we got attacked from different angles, not knowing what would happen. After some time, with nothing happening, and the exhaustion kicking in, we did eventually pass out. We were awoken early in the morning. It was very sunny by this point. By the sound of a car aggressively pulling up on the road by the mound we were sleeping behind, we heard car doors slamming and footsteps stomping toward us quickly. As we lay there, against a bank, we couldn't see them, but we could feel that they were inches from us. I'll never forget the fear I felt in that moment. My body froze and I simply thought, well, this is it. They stopped and we heard a furious argument in Lithuanian between two men. It stopped after an eternity, but in reality, it was probably only 30 to 60 seconds. They stomped back to the car and drove off. I almost vomited with relief. We immediately got up, packed our bags and started walking as far as possible from that area and started hitchhiking. We're not sure what we were privy to that night. We don't think it was any sort of assault or anything like that as there would have been more screams. We believe it was probably murder. The perpetrators were watching us from the woods, whispering. They were seconds away from either killing or kidnapping us the following day. I just know it. This happened six years ago and it's still surreal thinking that this happened and that we got away unscathed. For all we know, we could be a pile of bones in some unknown Lithuanian forest. I'd also like to add that there was a weird precursor before all of this happened. We sat in a small village on a wall on the Lithuanian-Latvian border. Before walking to that wall, we walked past a police car with what looked like two very heavily asleep police officers, almost dead even, and some random guy shouting at them through the window. We thought it was strange and we sat down on the wall. We watched the event from a distance before proceeding to roll some cigarettes. We looked up again about 20 seconds later and they had all just vanished. There was no sight of them anywhere and it was a long stretch of road both ways. We both thought it was weird as hell. We hitched a lift from that wall and it was a talking point until our calamity happened a few hours later. It kind of set the tone for the night. I know it's an irrelevant detail overall, but I felt like I should mention it because we weren't spooked. We were weirded out in a harmless way until things got very real. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. An Unexplainable Hitchhiking Experience by Lucid Lotus Hey Swamp Dweller, my family has had some insane experiences with the supernatural. We are a family of women with psychic abilities and men that have just had some crazy, unexplainable occurrences. Today I wanted to share a story with you and your followers, something that did not happen to me but to my uncle. He didn't use the internet often and didn't even know how to get his story out there, so I'm submitting it on his behalf. Without further ado, this story takes place in Canada, specifically on the outskirts of Thunder Bay in the year of 2003. My uncle has always been what most would call a drifter. 
He was seldom in one spot for too long and would get around by hitchhiking. Christmas of 2002 leading into January of 2003, my uncle had traveled from Regina to Ontario to spend the holidays with our family. We were all located in Ontario. As the holiday season passed, he returned to Regina in the most typical fashion, hitchhiking. He had an uneventful trip until he made it to Thunder Bay. He was dropped off by a transport trucker on a lonely highway outside of Thunder Bay as far as the trucker could take him. He had wandered further and further down the highway with rarely any vehicles passing. None willing to stop and give him a ride. It was between 2 and 3 a.m. and he was frozen and started to slow his pace and take a lot of breaks along the way. He ended up standing at one spot for quite some time to try to warm himself and conserve energy. It was under a streetlight and his particular area was well lit. Suddenly, he heard branches snapping behind him in the tree line, about a half a football field length away. He chalked it up to a deer or a moose as the deep Canadian forest is full of wildlife that is quite active at night. He then heard what sounded like a groaning sound, muffled and almost sounded human, but not quite. He decided to continue walking and would speed up his pace between streetlights because he just had an eerie feeling something was wrong and he felt something in the pit of his stomach. He could hear whatever this was in the tree line following him as he moved, but it seemed to remain in the tree line. Branches cracked, and between cracks he could hear grunts and groans. Then it hit him, the grotesque smell of raw meat that had been baking in the sun mixed with that smell of sewage. He could see a moving figure that was almost white with patchy fur. He had never been so afraid in his whole life. With no way to call for help, and the isolating feeling brought on by the realization that not a single vehicle had passed in hours, he felt helpless and feared for his life. He tried to keep moving. Faster and faster, the creature kept his pace and remained in the tree line, almost as if it was playing with him. He stopped as he approached the last light on the street. This stretch of highway did not have many more lights after this, and the ones that were after this didn't seemingly work. He felt the most fear he had ever felt in his life at this point. The streetlight's dim light was the only sense of safety he could grasp, and now, it was utterly gone. He turned to face the tree line and noticed that he couldn't see or hear anything, and thought the creature had maybe given up on him as prey. He almost sighed a breath of relief before hearing a branch snap directly in front of him. What came next has stuck with him. A shriek so loud and shrill that it made his entire body freeze up, rendering him in shock paralysis. Thankfully, headlights approached and came to a halt beside him. He hadn't even noticed the truck come near his way. He didn't even have the capacity to turn and try to catch a ride. He was still paralyzed with fear. It was a lovely man in a large black jeep. The gentleman screamed at my uncle to get in the vehicle. He did not protest and jumped right in. Naturally, not his first instinct as he prefers to get a feel for the person before just jumping in a car... But the man had a tone of urgency and fear and my uncle didn't want to be a meal for whatever the hell that creature was. As soon as my uncle jumped into the jeep, the man sped off and then parked about 20 minutes up the road and explained to my uncle what he had seen when he was approaching him on the highway. My uncle was grateful to the man. Whatever he had seen, based on the description in my uncle's in-depth research of cryptids following this experience, they all believed that it may have been some sort of wendigo or something of that nature. I'm just glad he wasn't a victim of a Wendigo attack. The Dangers of Hitchhiking by Sarah's Closet
I am now a 39-year-old female, and many, many moons ago, sometime between the ages of 15 and 17, when it was still the 90s, another girl and I used to hitchhike cross-country. When we first went on our little adventure, it never even crossed our minds that we might one day need some form of weapon on us for self-defense. So it was a long time before we got one, and this is a story of two instances before that time when we would have been in much better positions if we had a weapon. The first one was in Pueblo, Colorado. We were sitting at a gas station contemplating walking up to the highway when the random guy told us that he couldn't take us anywhere, but if we were willing to cook, he'd take us home and feed us and let us shower, etc. While an offer like this may be a red flag for most people, this was well into our time hitchhiking and relatively common. We discovered that the people that didn't converse much were the ones we should usually be worried about. This guy didn't say hardly anything the entire way there, and there was deep into the wilderness in the middle of the mountains. If you're familiar with Pueblo, you know the hills are far from there, so we were already getting the creeps just knowing how far from civilization we were headed. We finally get there and the guy is giving us both a weird feeling and we're not okay with this. We agree it isn't a good idea to stay. So less than five minutes after arriving at this middle of nowhere cabin in the woods, we tell him we've changed our minds and want to leave. He seems genuinely irritated, but agrees to take us back after some back and forth convincing. By this time, we have no clue where we are or in which direction, and we are both getting pretty worried. And as we venture out into the woods again, we begin discussing with one another. The fact that it feels like it's taking longer to get back than it did to get there was really setting off alarms. We both start wondering if we are going back or maybe we're going further into the wilderness. And to make it even worse, we have not spotted even one other passing vehicle this entire time. Nobody was heading in the direction that we were. So now the conversation is going towards what we might do if he's leading us further into the woods. We both agree that since there are two of us and only one of him, even if we are both beginning to panic and sweat, we can probably wait this out or take him if it needs be. Although this was still over 20 years ago, it feels like it took twice as long to return as it did to make it there. We did eventually make it back to the gas station we started at. He let us out, and we went on our way. The second instance was just outside of Sacramento, California. We had been traveling with a big fat trucker who was not conversational at all. Even as much as we tried prompting him to talk to us, he had little or nothing to say. We had been traveling in his truck for a few hours and we both had fallen asleep. Until my travel companion abruptly awakened me, the car had stopped on the side of the highway and my friend was adamant about us exiting the vehicle immediately. So I asked her what was wrong and she told me that she had been wakened by the truck driver feeling her breasts in her sleep. She said his exact words were, after all I've done for you, you can't even let me comp a field. So we got out of the truck, literally ran on the side of the highway, somewhere near Sacramento, but we walked away unharmed and almost entirely unviolated. And amazingly enough, out of nearly three years of hitchhiking cross-country together, those were the only two times anything remotely scary happened to us, and it was the best time of my entire life still to this day. The Hitchhiker Murders by Anonymous Sonoma County, California is one of the most agriculturally productive areas in the entire country. It produces a massive amount of hops, grapes, prunes, apples, dairy, and poultry products every single year. This is down to the vast swaths of fertile land and the abundance of high-quality irrigation water. 
In addition to the vineyards and wineries that all call Sonoma home, one might mistake the county for being a little slice of paradise. But during the early 1970s, a series of horrifying events in the hills around Sonoma's largest city, Santa Rosa, would make this heavenly place seem more like a circle of hell. On February 4, 1972, two middle school friends were returning from a visit to the Redwood Empire Ice Arena. Maureen Louise Sterling and Yvonne Lisa Weber, 12 years old, were last seen around 9 p.m. hitchhiking on Guerneville Road, northwest of Santa Rosa. Neither of the girls arrived home that night. The parents begged local authorities to find their girls and find them they did. Their bodies were found December 28th, just a few miles north of Franz Valley. A single earring, orange beads, and a 14-karat gold necklace with a cross were found at the scene. The cause of death could not be determined from the skeletal remains. Then just a month later, 19-year-old student Kim Wendy Allen was given a ride by two men on the evening of March 4, 1972. They last saw her approximately 5.20 p.m., hitchhiking to school and carrying a large wooden soy barrel with red Chinese characters. Her body was found the following day down an embankment in a creek bed. The two men who gave her a ride, one of whom was presented and passed a polygraph test, were ruled out as suspects. These hitchhiker murders were repeated as the years went by, but only a handful had a modus operandi that matched the previous murders. One in particular had an alarming additional detail that may shed some light on who the murderer or murderers were. Carolyn Nadine Davis, 14 years old, ran away from her home outside of Anderson in Shasta County on February 6, 1973, but disappeared on July 15th after being dropped off by her grandmother at the Garberville Post Office. She was last seen hitchhiking that afternoon near the highway in Garberville. Her body was discovered on July 31st, just meters from where the remains of Sterling and Weber had been found, seven months prior. However, this time the cause of death would be determined. Coroners stated that it was an apparent cause of strychnine poisoning. 10 to 14 days before the body was discovered, a witchcraft symbol meaning carrier of spirits was found by her body. As was previously mentioned, an additional eight unsolved murders of female victims who had been linked to the unknown murderer and all happened to be hitchhikers. Yet, not a single conviction has ever been handed down in the connection with any of them. However, that doesn't mean there aren't a few prevailing theories on the murderer's true identity. Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono Jr., the Hillside Stranglers of Los Angeles, were seriously considered suspects. The Hillside Strangler murders began with the deaths of three sex workers who were found strangled and dumped naked on hillsides northeast of Los Angeles between October and early November 1977. It was not until the deaths of five young women who were not sex workers but girls who had been abducted from middle-class neighborhoods that the media attention and subsequent Hillside Strangler moniker became prominent. However, there was insufficient evidence linking Bianchi or Buono to the Sonoma County murders so we must look elsewhere for conclusive proof. Another suspect in this case was Frederick Manali, a 41-year-old Santa Rosa Junior College creative writing instructor. In August of 1976, Manali was involved in a fatal head-on collision on Highway 12. As CHP officers cleared the scene, they discovered something alarming. In addition to a large amount of creative writing work Manali had in his possession, police found that the instructor cultivated another form of creative drawing. 
But these weren't uh, still life or landscape drawings, no. These were scenes depicting sadomasochistic acts committed by a young woman. Investigators were quickly able to identify the woman in question from the quality of the sketches. It was Kim Wendy Allen, the second victim in the series of murders. Yet, despite searches of Manali's home, investigators could not find a credible link between the sketches and the murders. Another suspect in this case was none other than the subject of a recent Netflix-made movie, Ted Bundy. After the prolific murderer's capture for similar crimes in Washington, Colorado, Utah, Florida, and Idaho, Ted Bundy was heavily suspected as the Sonoma County Hitchhiker Killer. The links between the naked bodies of the Sonoma victims and the extreme venereal nature of Bundy's crimes were obvious. It turned out that Bundy had apparently spent time in the neighboring Marin County, but was ruled out by a Sonoma County detective in the 1970s and again in the 1980s. This was down to detailed credit card records that reveal Bundy was up in the coast of Washington State on the dates of some of these disappearances. An additional suspect in the murders is another famous name, the Zodiac Killer. Investigators were forced to consider the Zodiac Killer as a possible perpetrator due to similarities between an unknown symbol on his January 29, 1974 exorcist letter to the San Francisco Chronicle, in which he claims 37 victims, and the Chinese characters on the missing soy barrel carried by Kim Allen. Also, the Zodiac had written a letter delivered to the San Francisco Chronicle on November 9, 1969. In it, he intended to vary his modus operandi to confuse detectives and evade capture. I shall no longer announce to anyone when I commit my murders, and they shall look like routine robberies, killings of anger, and a few fake accidents, etc. Naturally, the consideration of the Zodiac Killer leads us to one Arthur Lee Allen. Allen owned a mobile home at Sunset Trailer Park in Santa Rosa at the times of the murders, he was also fired from his Valley Springs Elementary School teaching position for suspected child molestation in 1968. Allen was arrested on September 27, 1974 by the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office and charged with child molestation in an unrelated case involving a young boy. He pleaded guilty on March 14, 1975 and was imprisoned at Ascadero State Hospital until late 1977. This would indeed match the period for some of the murders. What's more, Robert Graysmith, in his book Zodiac Unmasked, claims that a Sonoma County sheriff revealed that chipmunk hairs were found on all of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker victims and that Allen had been collecting and studying the same species. Since the bodies were dumped outdoors, it would be possible that a few chipmunk hairs might be present on one or two of them, but probably not all of them. Allen was the main suspect in the Zodiac case for over 30 years until his DNA was compared to a partial DNA profile obtained from saliva, recovered on the underside of a postage stamp and envelopes from verified Zodiac letters. Results were a conclusive non-match. Fingerprints and blood retrieved from the taxi cab of Zodiac murder victim Paul Stein, a writer's palm print found on the Zodiac letter of January 29, 1974, and handwriting examples failed to identify Allen as Zodiac. In practice, this evidence would have exonerated Allen should he have ever stood trial for the charges. So we are forced to look elsewhere for clues to the murderer's identity. But given that, almost 50 years later, each murder remains distinctly clear. Just who was murdering hitchhikers in the hills of Santa Rosa? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, 
Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Worst Night of My Life by Anonymous One of the worst nights of my life was December 28th, 2013. To put it bluntly, and in as few words as possible, a tough Christmas had been rough on my mental health. Then a straight-up shouting match with my mom just finished me off. I stormed out of our family home, screaming profanity and swearing they'd never see me again. I was one of those petulant teenagers. Sure, I'd forgotten my phone and wallet, but I was too proud to return and get them. You bet I was. So, in my fit of partially warranted rage, I somehow decided that it would be a good idea to try hitchhiking to my friend's house so I could stay there for the night. I'd never hitchhiked before. Hell, I don't even think I'd held my thumb out for a cab at that point in my life. But there I was, stood on a stretch of Florida highway trying to catch the attention of a passing driver. To my surprise, someone pulled over pretty quickly. Not the hippie bus rust bucket I'd been visualizing. It was one of those high-end Chevys, and I'm not sure which model it was. The guy behind the wheel looked like he had a few dollars. I mean, he was the archetypal, rich dad type. Absolutely nothing to indicate that he was anything but friendly and well-meaning. Hop in, he calls out from the open passenger window. I couldn't believe my luck. Like, not only was I about to hitchhike for the first time, which felt pretty cool, not going to lie, but I was about to do so in style. I can't tell the difference between faux leather and the real deal, but when you're in an air-conditioned sedan that still has that new car smell at 17, who cares? I felt grown as hell. So the guy asked me why I'm hitchhiking, and I'll be honest, I may have given him a hopped-up version of events that made me the victim. Abusive parents, poor me, blah blah blah. Naturally, he takes this as gospel and starts telling me how his father was an alcoholic and how he sympathized with my situation. I asked him to take me as far down the road as he could, that I had a friend who lived about 30 minutes away. He says, cool, and down the highway we go. As he's driving, we talk a lot about family. He pops the glove box and boom, there's a picture of his kids. As I'm looking at all his little girls, he starts telling me how important he thinks family is, especially to those of us that come from less than stable backgrounds. Then he said something that seemed entirely out of character. We're pulling into a gas station after he mentions needing to fill up continuing the family convo in segments, if that makes any sense. One minute he'll stop talking because he needs to focus on a lane or turn. Then he carries on. So it was almost out of nowhere when he said something like, We have to protect our families from our true natures. I didn't know what to say to that. Not at that moment. So I just kind of stayed quiet as he got out of the car and starts filling up the tank. I had a few minutes to process those words and the more I thought about them, the more I realized that hitchhiking might not have been such a good idea. When he gets back in after paying for the gas, there are a few quiet moments as I'm still trying to work out what he meant by this little statement. So I asked. I straight up asked him what he meant by something so ominous. It'll be easier if I show you. Ever wondered what it would feel like to tuck and roll out of a moving vehicle? Ever tried to imagine it because you're literally about to do it, and you're pretty sure it'd kill you at the speed you're traveling? Probably not. I hadn't. Not until that moment right there. But somehow I convinced myself that I was just being overly dramatic. A little too late, huh? So I just stayed in the car. I didn't even ask him to pull over or anything. Jesus, 
Looking back on it, I wasn't sure what was going through my head at all, just that I didn't want to be around this guy anymore. He'd gone from friendly and average to moody and creepy at light speed. You know, everyone has secrets, he says after pulling into a dark commercial lot and shutting the engine off. So imagine that line spoken as creepily as you can imagine, and double, then double it, and that's what this guy sounded like. I kept my tone polite, until the point that I needed this dude to get to my friend's house. But I was all out of cool by then, and I'm literally about to ask him what the hell's going on and what he's talking about, when he puts his hand on my thigh. He doesn't just put it there either, he puts his hand there and squeezes. Little side note here, I am not in the least bit homophobic. An older cousin of mine came out as gay long before this ever happened, and aside from an uncle whose mentality seems to be firmly rooted in the 1920s, everyone in my family has accepted him for who he is. So this isn't me like, oh god, it was scary because a gay guy touched me. No, because really, I don't even think this guy was even gay. As I said, he had pictures of his kids, mentioned his wife, and he even complained about his in-laws during our little family talk. Not that that rules out him being in the closet. Look, I'm trying to say that he did what he did because he was a predator. He saw someone vulnerable, had a rough childhood or family background, and saw someone he could manipulate. It was the look in his eyes, man. Not this vulnerable, I like you look. It was like a hunger. That's the best way I can describe it. It was like an excitement before a feast. I, I, just, I just hit him. I'm not some tough guy, and I don't do MMA. Hell, I don't even think I landed the punch properly. But I threw it hard enough to let him know that he was not about to molest me in a dark parking lot in the middle of winter. Then I tried to undo my seatbelt. I tried, being the operative word. I pushed the little red button, and absolutely nothing happened. No clicking or catching mechanisms. You should have seen this guy smile when that happened. I will never forget that look in his eye. Purely predatory. I'm not even ashamed to admit that I started screaming for help like a little kid. It's like having a nightmare where you tried to call for help but your voice was catching in your throat. It was such a scary moment, and it occurred to me right then and there, in that darking parking lot. I'm not even entirely sure what happened next. I remember slamming my fist into the glass window and popping it all over me. I know I must have gotten the door open somehow. There were headlights behind us and someone shouting as they intervened. The predatory driver reached under his seat and I thought for a moment he was about to pull a gun. But then the seatbelt felt somewhat loose, so I rolled out of the car as it sped away. In retrospect, I think the guy had a way to unbuckle it like some sort of jerry-rigged system under his seat, if that makes any sense. It was tight as hell, and it wouldn't even budge. The cops are there, my rescuer must have called them, and I'm just numb. Not only because I couldn't believe I'd almost gotten myself kidnapped, I had no idea what the guy was planning for me, other than it wasn't good or innocent. But it was that my foolish pride, self-pity, and lies could have been the things responsible for what could have easily been my untimely death. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true hitchhiking horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button like it just insulted your mother's cooking, and be sure to share this video with your friends. It helps the swamp grow. Leave a comment down below letting me know what story was your favorite tonight, and be sure to subscribe if you're new. I upload almost every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you're a fan of scary stories, true crime, and the like, this is the home for you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this a five-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. 
If you're on the go and want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories, no matter where you are, you can download them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the Swamp the way you do. Don't forget to join me over on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the other social media platforms, and I'll see you soon with another creepy episode. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.